God of grace and mercy, may the words I share this day come from my heart, and may all of us gathered together this day be both comforted and prompted by the still speaking God in our lives. Amen. Amen. You know, we always say that the Gospel of Matthew tells the story of Jesus from birth to resurrection and places emphasis on the teaching of Jesus. And you're probably thinking, well, all the Gospels do that. Well, yes and no. Jesus only gets born in Matthew and Luke. But Matthew especially talks a great deal about the teachings of Jesus. And the reason for that is that the focus, the audience for the Gospel of Matthew, were the Judeans who believed in the coming of the Messiah. And the writer of Matthew is trying to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. And so it's called a teaching gospel, especially. And there's five major teaching discourses scattered throughout the gospel of Matthew. And the first one is the Sermon on the Mount, which is found starting in chapter 5 and runs all the way to chapter through chapter 7. And verses from the Sermon on the Mount will be our gospel reading today and starting all through February. And, you know, it's interesting, some theologians over the centuries, as they've studied the Gospel of Matthew, they have named the Sermon on the Mount the Ordination Address of the Twelve. And others have dubbed it the Magna Carta, or Charter of Liberties of the Kingdom. But they all agree on one thing, that the Sermon on the Mount is the essence of Jesus' teaching to the disciples. And a world-renowned, now-since-deceased theologian, William Barclay, he maintains that there's compelling reasons for us to believe that the Sermon on the Mount is really not one sermon. That it was a number of sermons that were put together for emphasis. And, and some of the reasons he puts forth is, first of all, he says, if you, if you had to hear it in its present form in the New Testament, you would be exhausted long before you ever got to the end of it. Because reading it is different than hearing it. And I maintain you'd be a little tired even if you were just trying to read it from start to finish. And there's also disconnections in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's often a key that things have been put together. They don't seem to flow well. And then both Luke and Matthew have a version of the Sermon on the Mount. And scholars say that it's very typical of Matthew that he would have gathered all of these teachings under one great heading. And that it was far more likely that Matthew collected Jesus' teachings into one whole pattern than that Luke took this one sermon and chopped it up and scattered it throughout his gospel. And some have even suggested that after choosing the initial disciples... Jesus took them away into a quiet place for a week or even longer and taught them. And what he taught them was much that's in the Sermon on the Mount. And I always wonder, I wonder if they took notes. I wonder if they realized the import of what they were hearing and how it was going to transform their lives. I don't question for a minute that they couldn't comprehend how it would transform the world. 
And the other thing I ask myself, and just keep this in the back of your head whenever you think about Jesus and the disciples and his ministry. Why did he need disciples with him? Why did he need them at his side every day and every night for the, from the beginning of his ministry until the very end? That's not always true of great disciples or great prophets. Why did he? I'm not going to answer that question, but I want you to think about it. Why did he? Why did he need people with him? But what we are told is that when the Sermon on the Mount began, Jesus sat down. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but at that time, what that means is if a rabbi sits down, they're getting ready to teach. That's a signal that something important is coming. So Matthew uses that, that Jesus sat down, so we get our attention. Something important is about to happen. And here's what James Barclay says about the Sermon on the Mount. He says it is the summary of the teaching which Jesus habitually gave to the inner circle, meaning those disciples. The Sermon on the Mount is nothing less than the concentrated memory of many hours of heart-to-heart communion between the disciples and their master. Many hours of heart-to-heart communion. And it starts with the Beatitudes, which means blessing. Now you heard them this morning in the inclusive version. Here they are again in the New Revised, which may be more familiar to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. We've all heard those, haven't we? We might have had a t-shirt as a kid, the church made that had them on We put them on on coffee mugs. We put them on samplers. We put them on banners. And we say that this is what it means to be a disciple. Well, here's what I was going to do. I was going to pick, I did pick one or two of them that, because you can't, I mean, this is a multi-part sermon series. I was going to pick just one or two, and I'd had it all laid out, what I was going to talk about, you know. And then it all fell apart. That happens with me sometimes. And here's what started. Early this coming fall, I'm going to take a bucket list trip to Poland and eastern Germany. And I'm going to visit the remnants of the uh, Nazi concentration camps. I know that may sound odd, but it's, I've been fascinated and 
by World War II my entire life, uh, and it's something that I've wanted to do. And so I've been studying again. I did it a lot as a teenager, and so I've been re-studying some things and watching some documentaries and reading. And I came across one the other day by Martin Niemöller. He was a prominent Protestant pastor who emerged as an outspoken public critic of Adolf Hitler. And he spent the last seven years of Nazi rule in a concentration camp. And he's remembered for this quotation. First they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Now this quotation really stems from some lectures he gave in the early post-war period. And there's different quotes. You've probably heard it with different groups interspersed in it. And the reason for that is he often spoke extemporaneously, and so he would change it up. But the point of it, the point of this quote from the beginning then and to this day, is that he believed that the Germans, in particular he believed, the leaders of the Protestant churches in Germany had been complicit in their silence against the Nazi imprisonment, persecution, and murder of millions of people. So that's been on my heart. I mean, I've known that all my life. But you know how it is when you know something again at a deeper level? And so then the second thing that caused it to all fall apart were the headlines and the actions that have come out of the White House this past week. And 100 United Church of Christ clergy, along with 2,000 other faith leaders, released a letter opposing the White House's plan to block refugees from entering the United States. As a United Church of Christ clergy, that makes me think. And then Pope Francis condemned the hypocrisy from Christians who are merciless to refugees and other people of faith. And here's what he said. This is not something I've read in books, but I see in the newspapers and on television every day. The sickness, or you can say the sin, that Jesus condemns most is hypocrisy which is precisely what is happening when someone claims to be a Christian but but does not live according to the teachings of Christ. You cannot be Christian without living like a Christian. You cannot be a Christian without practicing the Beatitudes. So my question to you as it was to the disciples, are you taking notes of what is being said to us as Christians? You know, we also used as the first reading verses from the second letter, the first letter to the Corinthians. And I used that one because we used it the other weeks of January. But do you know what the Hebrew reading in the lectionary was for today? 
Micah 6, 1 through 8. And, yeah, you just want to just fall over and laugh. Because let me, you, want, you want to hear, know what Micah 6, 8 is? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Are you taking notes? And here's the reality. We are in a time and a place when being Christian is going to become harder and harder and more challenging. And not just out there, but in here. We will not all see things the same. But we will all have to look into our hearts and look into the texts that we consider sacred and ask ourselves, what should we do? It is a difficult time. And I'm not going to stand here and give you the answer. Because I don't know the answer. But here's the conclusion I got to in the last 24 hours. I got sick last night. It happens. You know, I mean, I really I was not in a good way. And I just wasn't even sure I was going to make it this morning. And I'm in my chair, dying. And, and, and I got my remote. And, uh, and I'm watching this incredible original series on Netflix. Um, it's a remake of One Day at a Time. And I encourage you to watch it. It is delightful. You know, that was Bonnie Franklin. She was white and she was divorced and she had two daughters. Well, this is a Latina family. They're Cuban. Rita Moreno plays the grandmother and you'll recognize who plays the daughter. I can't think of her name. And she's a veteran who served in Afghanistan and her husband has PTSD and, and he's out of the picture and she's got these two wonderful kids. One who's this you know, and uh, she's a, a lesbian, and, and then she's got this darling little boy. So it's really, really cute. And so I'm on the couch dying, and I'm watching it. And it's this, I think it might, it was, I think it was next to last in the, the first season. And the father, you know, who's been absent for a number of years, comes back, and he brings the children presents. And he got a good one for the boy, but he, like, totally missed on the girl, because he still thought she was... Tiny, he bought her this like princess doll, and uh, and he realizes pretty quickly that he has totally missed the mark. And so then, you know, a little later in the show, he comes back and he gives her a, a gift. He says, "I think you'll like this better," and it's a gift certificate. It's a, actually it's a record of a donation that he made in on her behalf to an organization called Kiva, which is an international nonprofit that provides loans to small businesses to bring people out of poverty. It's an amazing organization. So the daughter is just ecstatic, right? And she said, Papi, how did you, how did you know that, that, that I would like that? And so the daughter is sitting on the couch next to, uh, you know, abuela, <laughs> the grandmother. And um, she, the father says, well, I did some research, and then someone told me what? And he points to the grandmother. And the grandmother answers, annoying. You know, I told you she was annoying. <laughs> and, and the father says, no, you said she was a social justice warrior. 
And the grandmother quipped, same thing. (laughs) I don't know of a bigger compliment that anyone could pay a person than to say that they're a social justice warrior. But it takes a bravery. It takes a bravery to be one. It is not easy. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime as we look into our own hearts and our own beliefs and our own faith about how we feel about what's happening in the world and where we stand with it and what we want to do? What do we do in the meantime with all that? Because it's not easy. Yesterday, I saw this community of faith act out what it is we need to do in the meantime. We had the memorial service here for Kathy Simmons' mother, Mary Elizabeth. Dorian and Wayne were here all morning. They stepped up and they said, we will help. Dorian was doing the sound, we set it up, Wayne was all morning. A number of you were able to attend. My guess is you might have had to change some schedules. And I know for a fact that none of you are like this with Mary and Kathy. But you know what it is I think you saw? Well, I know Joaquin and Yanni, they love their moms. And Kathy loved hers. And you're drawn to that. You see that love. And you're moved by it. And you're changed by it. I think that's why everyone, you were here. Because you were honoring Kathy and you were honoring Mary and you were honoring the relationship they had and the love they had. And that's why we had so many people here. From Rockport, long ways away. We cannot love each other in here and hate others out there. We cannot. We have got to find a way to love each other in here and love each other out there. And so I want to close with a a scripture from the Gospel of John. Well, actually from the first letter to John. It's too much for a tattoo. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Pray with me. Gracious God, we are your people, and we love you, and we are here this day to raise our voices in song to you, our hearts in prayer to you, and to hear your word. 
We live in difficult times, dear God, and we know that you love us through them. Help us to love each other through these difficult times, we pray. Amen. Amen.